Love you too. Good morning. Oh, thank you. God is good. And all the time. And that is his nature. I'm excited to be here today. I've been gone for a bit. I'm back and forth. Uh, a lot of you know that I work part-time with the military, and so I'm currently posted out towards Barrie, but they let me go home on the weekend because I begged and pleaded to see my mother. And so <laughs> military was like, no mom's in for you. I said, I'm going. Praise God. I'm just kidding. Uh, I did beg and plead, though. Uh, so I just got a couple of announcements, so we're going to get into the message. So uh, first thing, baptism is coming up June 4th. We have a sign-up outside, so if you are uh, interested or you need to get baptized or you know someone who does, uh, go ahead and uh, put the info down, um, and then we will be, once we get closer to the date, we'll be providing all of the details and the finer instructions um, about where it's going to be and what time and blah, 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 but it's starting to get warm, so praise God, by June, it's going to be nice, and if it's not, it's... The, the rumor is that the colder the water, the more holy you are when you get out. So I'm only going in in the middle of August. I went in in February. I'm just kidding. It was inside. It was a hot water. I think Pastor Dave baptized me. Was it Pastor Dave Pisignese? And he smacked my head on the faucet when he brought me up. They said, wow, look, his eyes are watering. The Spirit's touching him. I said, I got a concussion. <laughs> That's completely true. Uh, I still love him. Uh, okay, so we got baptism on June 4th. And then, uh, so our Lighthouse prayer nights on Monday nights, right now we, we start them just a little bit after 7. However, starting in June, we're going to move them back to 6.30. This is going to give us a little bit of extra time for the Lighthouses to have some more time for discipleship, for fellowship. Um, and then for those of you, so just, it's a heads up that once it's in June, we're going to be rolling it back a little bit earlier to try to... Uh, accommodate more people and to allow um, more fellowship and whatnot. And uh, so we're excited about that. Um, and then, yeah, as, as you know, we pretty much put all of our announcements and different things and information on our Facebook page and on our website and all that stuff. But if you ever have any questions or whatever, shoot us a message. We are uh, super quick at responding back to those kind of things. Um, and so, yeah, I'm excited. So happy Mother's Day. To all of the mothers, both spiritual and natural, uh, today, my message today is about our spiritual parents. And, you know, the Bible talks a lot about the value of spiritual parents in the life of the believer. You know, when we lived over in Uganda, we, were, uh, we lived over there. Um, we're still active over there, but we lived over there full time. And one thing about the culture that's very interesting um, for most of Africa really is that because they have such a low life expectancy, you have a lot of people that are living without parents, okay? So oftentimes people are raised by uncles or neighbors or grandparents um, because their parents for whatever reason aren't around or they've passed away or they've moved on, the kids are abandoned, whatever. So what you see very quickly is that there is a very high level of honor for parents um, so, for example, like my wife Elva, when we were in the church, a lot of people didn't call her Elva, they called her Mama Leah, 
because they recognized her as the mother of someone else. Even if you have twins in that culture, you would actually have a special honorary title uh, for specifically for parents of twins, and it would actually be part of your identity. People would recognize you as a father of twins, you know, which is funny for the dad, because the dad really didn't do all that much, but he gets a special honorary title. Uh, Mark Davey, actually, he has two twin daughters, and so he always throws that in my face, that he's a very high-honored man in Ugandan culture. And, uh, but yeah, it was true. And what's really interesting, though, is that very quickly we found that we had people that we were pastoring and mentoring into their life where they started calling me dad. They started calling my wife mom. When my parents came to visit, they would call them mom, and they would call my dad dad. And these are people, but what happened is, is that you have this uh, 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 orphan culture where they don't have a lot of natural parents active in their life for many reasons, but they never lost having spiritual parents and people that they've put over their life to look out for them and they common to the point where even when I was pastoring the church, I had different women that were that were in the church that were like matriarchs, they were like grandmothers, to where I would be calling these people Mama Rose and Mama whatever, which was very confusing for all of the Westerners when I was calling you know, all of these Sudanese and Ugandan women Mama. <laughs> but what it is is that we are honoring their position, not as our actual mother, but as their position as a parent to the, to the children of the faith. Are you with me? And so, you know, for Mother's Day, we honor mothers, but what we really honor is not the ability to bring children into the world, it's the ability to raise children up to affect the world, amen? What's that old expression? Anybody can be a dad, but it takes something special to be a father, right? And we say the same thing about uh, mothers, and why I say that that's really important is because Jesus when he was uh, um, on the cross, he did something really interesting. And I hope you brought your Bibles with you because we're gonna read some different things um, today. But something that's really interesting, we know from reading the New Testament that Jesus greatly loved his mother, Mary. And we know that Mary greatly loved Jesus. You know, the, the, the first miracle Jesus ever did was because his mom told him to do it said, make the wine, do whatever he says to do. You guys have to fix this wedding, okay? The first thing he ever did as a miracle, you know, uh, was demonstrated with his mom, okay? And what we see is that one of the last things he did while on the cross was looking out for his mother. There's three really interesting interactions that you see that Jesus did throughout the four gospels that you see Jesus did on the cross. You see that Jesus prayed for forgiveness for those who are crucifying him, right? It says that he witnessed to the thief on the cross beside him, lo, you will be with me in paradise tonight, right? And then it says that he did something very interesting with his mother. And so if we look over in John 19, verse 26 and 27, and I read out of the ESV. Somebody asked me that one day. English Standard Version, that's what they taught us in seminary, and that's what I like. I'm not saying everything else is wrong, but that's what I like. So there you go. Send me your hate Facebook messages later. <laughs> Praise God. When Jesus saw his mother, 
and the disciple whom he loved, that was John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, I never called my mom woman before, but I guess Jesus could do that. So <laughs> woman, behold your son. And he points at John. And then he says to the disciple John, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. Now, I want you guys to understand some context here, okay? Firstly, we know, uh, we, we know very strongly that at this point in time, Mary would have been a widow. Why? Because Mary is constantly along with Jesus. We know that she was moving around with them, and we know that that would have meant that John would, ha uh, sorry, not John, Joseph, Jesus' stepdad, <laughs> would have been dead at this point in time. And so in Jewish culture, as much as in most cultures, the oldest son, it falls to the responsibility of the oldest son to take care of the mother in the absence of the father. Are you with me? So Jesus is responsible for taking care of his mother Mary. Now when Jesus is on the cross, he realizes that his life is gonna be done. Now what does that mean? That means that now Jesus has to ensure that his mother is gonna be taken care of because now he's leaving. Now, Jesus had several brothers, several. But there's something very interesting is that we know that none of the brothers were with Jesus at the time of crucifixion. They're never mentioned anywhere on the scene until later on. And we also know that in John 7, verse 5, uh, in John 7, in the early parts, the brothers are arguing with Jesus about going down to the feast, and, and they're having this real difficult conversation with their brother Jesus, and it says something very interesting. For not even his brothers believed in him. So I want you to understand something here. Jesus had brothers that could have taken care of his mother Mary. However, Jesus placed the responsibility of taking care of his mother, not with his brothers of the world, but with the disciple whom he loved. And the reason why that's very impacting is because what it tells us is that Jesus put a great value on the mother-child relationship within the spiritual significantly greater than he did within the natural. Because if it was more important that Mary be with one of his blood brothers, he had five, six, or seven that he could have chosen. But he picked the disciple John. And you know, one time I was praying, and uh, it was really like an interesting, it was one of those moments in my life that I remember all the time. And I, I, I really pray, I was praying about, I used to always say that I was like a Peter. Like I used to always be like, I'm like a Peter, because I'm kind of a hothead, and sometimes I do really bad things. Like I either do really good or really bad, but it's always really big, okay? And so like, I'll either like run across the ocean or like drown completely. It's, it's one of the two, okay? And, and so I used to always be like, man, I'm like, like the disciple Peter. I really like identify with that. And I remember one time I was praying and God was like, you're not a Peter, you're a John. And I remember thinking like, why? What, what does that even mean? And so I really started doing a study about the relationships between Peter and John. And you know, Peter, his biggest issue was that he didn't know his purpose. Why do I say that? Because Jesus, when he talked to Peter, he said, Peter, on this rock I will build my church. He gave Jesus, or he gave Peter purpose to push him out, but I know my purpose. I know what I'm good to do. I know what God created and designed me to do. I've never had an issue knowing 
my purpose. I've always done things and asked, how does this fall into my purpose? However, with John, he never had to give John purpose. He had to let John know he was loved. That's why over and over and over again, John says, the disciple whom he loved. It was never the disciple whom he had to constantly remind about purpose and the disciple he had to constantly point back in the right direction. No, he had to constantly remind John that he was loved because that's what John needed in his life. And I realized that that's how I am. I don't need God to tell me my purpose. I need him to remind me that I'm loved. And I think it's so interesting that when Jesus was leaving, he didn't leave John with purpose. He left John with his mother. Why? Because what greater love outside of the love of our Father God is there but the love of a mother who takes care of the child and the child who takes care of the mom. Are you with me? See, Jesus showed how much love he had for John, firstly, when he died for him on the cross, but secondly, when he left him with his mother. Why? Because moms remind kids about how much they're loved. And I really was thinking about that. Now, it's really interesting. If you go back and you look through the scholars and you look through everything, you'll see that the disciples, after the early church was started, they went into all of the different countries, but John stayed in Jerusalem for many, many years with his mother. Most scholars believe that John was in Jerusalem until Mary died, and then he was, that was when he left. John stayed until, his, until Mary was gone, and he took care of his mother that he received from Jesus, his spiritual mother. Isn't that interesting? Now James, who we see, my, one of my favorite books in the Bible, James, James is the half-brother of Jesus. But we know that James did not come into the faith until after Jesus had died and been resurrected. Why? Because it specifically tells us in 1 Corinthians that when Jesus came back and he appeared to the 500, it specifically tells us that he appeared to James. And we know that that was Jesus's half-brother, James, and then we see that James then joined with the early church. And isn't it funny that James, the half-brother of Jesus, James, the one who wasn't selected by Jesus to take care of his mom, who at this point was a widow, that James is the one who famously wrote in James 1.27 that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You understand that James realized the value of taking care of widows because while Jesus was on the cross, Jesus was worried about the widow and the affliction and he did not put the widow that was in the affliction into the household of his family by blood. He took the widow who was in affliction and put her into the household in the apostle and the disciple that he loved. Are you with me? And the part about the 500, 1 Corinthians 15, 6 verse 7, so you know I'm not lying. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still asleep, uh, though have fallen, oh, sorry, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And scholars agree that that would have been James, the brother of Jesus, you understand that spiritual parents have so much value to Christians that it was more important 
that, John, that Jesus leave Mary with John than with his natural family, which goes completely against the natural culture of the day. It would normally go down the brothers. So not only do we see that there is value in taking care of the spiritual parents in our life, but what we see is that every Christian should have a great desire to have spiritual parents active in your life. Now, some of you might be lucky enough and blessed enough and fortunate enough that your natural parents also operate as spiritual parents in your life. However, for many of us, we do not have natural parents that can be as invested into our spiritual walk for other, one reason or another. But what we do see is that there is a severe, uh, 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 there's a severe importance and great value that we as Christians have people in our lives that can speak into our lives as spiritual parents, okay? And I wanna show you because throughout the whole Bible you see a relationship of people that had formed uh, father-son, mother-daughter, whatever relationships that were not by blood but instantly became a parent-child relationship and it was pivotal to their ministry and to their ability to do things, okay? Um, so, you know, one of my favorite ones is the story about Elijah. Now, Elijah's life was very difficult, you know, the guy was struggling with depression, he was constantly an enemy of the state, he was constantly winning for God, but losing for Elijah. You ever feel like that? Where you feel like God won, but your life kinda sucks now a little bit? Like that's a lot of Elijah's life, was winning for God, and then having a really bad day right after, because everyone wants to kill Elijah, okay? And so what we see is, you know, that he was killing the prophets of Baal, that he had the wicked queen Jezebel wanted to kill him, uh, because she had a spineless husband named King Ahab that couldn't say nothing, Okay, we see the guy struggle with depression, hopelessness. Uh, he was constantly being threatened by death. He was on the run. He was hiding. He would leave his servant, by the way, so that he could move quicker, okay? Um, he was falling apart emotionally, spiritually, physically. And in Kings 19, and we're gonna read this for a bit, so I hope you brought your glasses and your uh, reading material, and the guys at the back are ready to click away. Um, but we're gonna read this for a bit. We see it in Kings 19, and we're gonna start in verse nine. And what we see is that Elijah at this point is on the run from Jezebel, from Ahab. They, they said that they want him dead, they want his head, okay? And this guy is spent. He's at the end of his rope. This is Elijah. So it says that he came to a cave and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, they've thrown down altars, they've killed your prophets with the sword, and even I, I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. You ever feel like you're the only one? Elijah felt that way. Even I am the only one left. And he said, go, and then God said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rock before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. 
And when Elijah heard the whisper, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him that said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been jealous for the Lord, for the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Ebel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed down to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him, And Elisha left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and mother and I will follow you. And he said, go back again for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen. He sacrificed them. He boiled their flesh with the yokes of oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. You understand that Elijah felt like his life was over. He felt like it was all Done. He felt like everything, everything that up until this point that he did was for God and everything was falling apart around him. He was an enemy of the state. All he wanted to do, he's the only one left and, and God comes and he comes in this great mountain breaking moment and then there's this great earthquake and then there's great fire but then there's the whisper and God spoke to him in the whisper. What are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you in the cave when there's things to do? Why are you hiding here? What are you doing in this cave, not being in the world and doing what I want you to do? Why are you here? What are you doing here? And he says, I'm the only one left. And he says, no, there's 7,000 that have not bowed down. You're not the only one left. You're just the only one you know, but there's 7,000. And then what does he say to him? He says, go out and find this guy named Elisha. You understand that Elijah felt like he was the only one left because Elijah had a life where he didn't have a spiritual father over him. He didn't have spiritual children under him. It shows us he ditched his servant to go to the cave. He completely isolated himself to get away from everybody. And what did God say to him in the whisper? Find someone in your life to be with you. And it says that he went to Elisha, and Elisha wasn't prophesying, Elisha wasn't preaching, Elisha wasn't teaching, Elisha wasn't doing this awesome object lesson, Elisha didn't have disciples of 500 people, Elisha was in a field with a bunch of oxen farming. And when Elijah saw Elisha, he knew that that's the one God had said to go get. It says he threw his cloak on him. What is that? That's a prophetic release, a mantle that you are coming under my cloak, that you are coming into what I'm doing. And what does Elisha say when he sees him? He doesn't say, where are we going? How long are we going? He says, let me kiss my parents. Why? Because he knew he was leaving for a while. 
And then what does he say? He doesn't say, okay, make sure I keep my oxen here. Someone take care of them. That way when I come back, I have oxen. No, what does he say? He took all of his oxen. He sacrificed them to God. He gave the food to the people. He burned everything he had and he left with Elijah. Why? Because Elisha realized in that moment that his spiritual parent had come into his world and that his spiritual parent had taken him out of the field and was bringing him into his destiny. See, you understand here that Elisha's oxen didn't turn to him and say, God says to do this. It wasn't the mountains came to Elisha. It wasn't the, the, the rocks that came to Elisha. It wasn't the fire and the wind. It wasn't that. It was a person that spoke into his life and said that you have a destiny and a purpose and an anointing and you have something that is in front of you that is bigger than the oxen and the fields that you plow. Way bigger. And when Elisha heard the word of God come from Elijah, his spiritual father, he burned everything and he went with him. You understand that in Elijah's most difficult time when he felt like he was done, God showed power but spoke in a whisper. Elijah needed an Elisha in his life to pour into because Elijah felt isolated, alone, and depressed like his life was over. And God said, your life is not over because you were made to reproduce spiritual giftings on the latter generation that your position is not just about you, but it's bigger than you and it goes on past you and it goes on beyond you. You know, Miles Monroe said that the, 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 uh, the, the win of the leader is tested in his absence. Why? Because when you leave, you see what things can do when you're not there. If everything falls apart when you leave, you screwed up as a leader. And God was saying to Elijah, what are you doing here? If you die in this cave, it's over. Go out and grab something else. Why? Because when you're gone, I don't want the anointing to be gone. You understand? The value of a spiritual parent is that the spiritual parent releases onto the children the things that they can go out and do bigger and better and greater things. Why? Because there was something that was passed on and there's a multiplication effect and there's a growing, but if everything dies with you, then really what is the, what is the picture of it in this great scheme of things? Are you with me? And so Elijah, praise God, someone's gonna catch it. We see that Elisha served under Elijah for around six years. Now, what happened in 2 Kings 2, verse one? We're gonna read again. Now, when the Lord was about to take, praise God, was about to take Elijah up to heaven, six years later, by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But what does Elisha say? <laughs> oh, I lost my spot, I shouldn't have done that. Well, <laughs> what does Elisha say? As the Lord lives and as you live, I'm not gonna leave you. So they went down to Bethel and the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha. They said, do you know today the Lord is gonna take your master from you? He said, yes, I know it, keep quiet. You're not surprising me, guys. I already know this, shut up. <laughs> Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I'm not leaving you. 
So they went to Jericho. The sons of the prophet in Jericho drew came to Elisha and said, do you know today the Lord is gonna take your master from you? He says, I know it, shut up. I told them in Bethel to shut up and I'm telling you in Jericho to shut up. So then Elijah says, Elisha, stay here for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And Elisha once again said, as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I'm not leaving you. So the two of them went on. 50 men of the sons of prophets also went and they stood at a distance as they were both standing by the Jordan. They wanted to see what was gonna happen, okay? And Elijah took his cloak he took up the anointing, he took up the mantle, the cloak that he rolled over Elisha in the field all those years ago. He took his cloak, he rolled it up, he struck the water, and the water was parted to one side and the other until the two of them could go over on dry ground. So they crossed, and when they crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I should do for you before I'm taken away. And Elisha said, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you've asked a hard thing, yet, if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it shall be so. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, the chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elisha went up by whirlwind into, Elijah went up by whirlwind into heaven. And what did Elisha say? Elisha saw and he cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes. He tore them into two. And he took up that cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him. He went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and he struck the water, saying, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he struck the water, it was parted to one side and the other and Elisha went back over. You understand something very amazing that happened there is that in the moment when Elijah was about to leave, Elisha knew he was gonna go. He was told over and over again by all of the prophets in different areas, God has told us Elijah's leaving. And Elisha said, I know he's leaving, but I'm not gonna leave him. It says that when God came with the chariots of fire, it separated the two of them. It wasn't so much that, that Elisha was here and Elijah was over there and the chariots came by. No, it says that they were separated because Elisha would have been standing so close to Elijah and they said over and over again, your master's gonna leave, your master's gonna leave, your master's gonna leave. And when Elijah left, did Elisha say, my master, my master? He said, my father. Why? Because Elijah in those six years had become the spiritual parent to Elisha. And when Elijah was leaving, he said, what can I leave you? What inheritance can I give you before I go? What do you want? And he said, I want a double portion. And he said, what? You've asked a hard thing. Why? Because weeds grow with the harvest and Elijah knew that the portion of the anointing was gonna bring a portion of a tribulation. And Elijah said to Elisha, you've asked a hard thing to want a double of what I've got because you might want the double but you're also gonna get the trouble, okay? And he said, you've asked a hard thing but I'm gonna leave it to God. If you see me when I go, and it says later on in the chapters that, that the prophets who had seen the chariots come thought maybe Elijah's still alive and he, God just put him somewhere else. And it says that they all went out to go look, but Elisha said, why bother looking? He knew where Elijah was. 
And Elisha took the anointing and the mantle of Elijah, and when he put it on, he did exactly what Elijah had done. Elijah brought them out to the distance, separated them out from the people, separated them out from the world, said, what can I give you? What do you want? What do you need? Because I'm leaving. And Elisha said, I just want double of what you have. And he said, it's gonna be difficult, but if God wants it, it's gonna happen. And God took him away, and Elisha saw everything. The prophetic was released, and what did Elisha do? He cried out for his father, and then he picked up his mantle. You understand that Elisha could do what Elisha could do because he lived under a spiritual father for all of those years, and so when Elijah separated the water and went over, Elisha knew he could separate the water just to go right back. You understand? The value of the spiritual parents in your life is that they are gonna do things that you don't think is possible, but when they do them, they don't keep them to themselves. They tell people about what happened. Why? Because they want you to know that they might have come out across the Jordan, but they know that when you're gone, you can get back across the Jordan again. That what they've done before, you can do again. That what they've had before, you can go ahead and do that again and the value of the spiritual parent is that they have someone to pour into when they feel like they've been poured out they feel like it's over and instead and then they go to a cave and they say my life is done my life is over I've done what God wanted me to do I've done everything I need time to go to go to my cave and die and what does God say I did not call you to end your life in a cave I called you to end your mission with someone else because I don't want the mission to die with you. I want the mission to outlive you. If there's anything I do in this life that dies with me, how much value really is there? But if I can take the different things that God's placed in my life and grow and multiply and, and produce and enrich and nourish and put it into the next generation and put it into people around me and put it into these people I'm talking to and they can go out and do even greater things, that's my legacy too. I don't wanna die alone in the cave. I'd rather be with a Elisha, amen? <laughs> Praise God. The goal of the spiritual parents is to take the anointing that God has placed and entrusted them to do what God's called them to do, to grow it, to value it, and then to move it and translate it and pass it on to the next generation because everything that God is doing in your life is significantly larger than you. And it's meant to live on for as long as the Lord should tarry, amen? I tell you what, there's been times in my life where I've thought I've blown it, I've thought I've messed up, I've thought I've, uh, it's all over and it wasn't, you know, these really great prayer ministries where God came to me in a whisper. It was people who spoke to me on the sidebar, okay? There was people like Pastor Jeff Edwards, who when I came back, I, I, they said, okay, we want all the pastors to come up for prayer. And I wasn't pastoring. I said, how, how can you call yourself a coach if you don't have any basketball players? <laughs> well, you weirdo, you know? I said, I said, I didn't go up. And he said, you're still a pastor, when you don't have a church. And he pulled me up and, and Pastor Rick, when he came up after Africa and he said, Michael, you're not done yet. While I sat at the piano, completely different from anything. It, you know, there was times when I felt like my world was falling apart and then I had people like Mark Davey come beside me and say, hey, 
you need to go minister to that guy right now. You can be done feeling bad about yourself. Go talk to that guy. And there's different people in my life that have spoken into my life. There's people in this room, Phil and Lorraine St. Pierre, that when they were doing children's church, when I was like four or five, they were sowing into my life. Why? Because the things they were doing was not just about them. It was about everybody below them. Why? Because it's getting bigger than they are. When Pastor Dave was, was dunking me in the tank, I, who was a spiritual father in that time, when Pastor Howie was laying hands on me after I was praying when Pastor Rick and Pastor Dave were releasing an anointing on my ordination day. All of these different parents in your life are praying and believing into you. Why? Because it's not about them. It's about something bigger than them. And so they're releasing the cloak over to the next generation. Why? Because they recognize the value in the life of a Christian when that person is a spiritual child of the faith, but also when they can walk out as a spiritual parent to the next generation. Praise God. We're going to pray, and I want to encourage you this week, this month, I know that we're honoring Mother's Day and we're honoring the mothers, but I want to ask you, what are you raising in your life? What is growing in your fields? What are you investing into what, you know, for, this is for the, the, the older generation. Who are you sowing the seed into? Who are you rolling the cloak over? Who are you taking away across the Jordans to have those intimate conversations? Who are you speaking into? And for the younger, I would say, who is speaking into your life? Who do you have that's taking you across the Jordan? Who do you have that's rolling their cloak over you? Who do you have that inspires you and motivates you to kill your ox and to kiss your parents and to go out and do big things? Who is investing into your life? Because I'll tell you that Timothy became Timothy because he had a Paul in his life. Elisha was an Elisha because he had an Elijah in his life. Are you with me? That there are different people in your life that are made and designed to be there. Why? Because their destiny is to help you live your destiny and to remind you to get back on the track. Amen? I really want you to spend some time this week thinking about who it is. Maybe it is your real children. They're the easiest ones to try to sow into because they have to live with you for X amount of years. <laughs> you don't have to have coffee dates. You know where they are, okay? But there are spiritual relationships that have so much value and oftentimes you don't even know about them until it's way past. And when you're in a moment and you hear the steps of the horses of the chariots and you look into a person's life and you realize that they're gonna be able to be just fine, they're gonna be able to do just big things because you were obedient to God and you left the cave of your selfishness and your sadness and your depression and your what about me and your I'm the only one, but you left that cave and you stopped thinking about how hard your life is and started looking into how you can invest and pour into someone else's life. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this Mother's Day. And we thank you, Lord, that, you've, that all of us here are here because of a mom. And we honor and bless, just as your word says, to honor your father and mother. This is a commandment that you will have a long life on this earth, Lord. And we thank you that this is a house that honors our mothers. But not only 
our natural mothers, but the spiritual parents that you've placed into our life, God. We thank you that this church is flourishing with a spiritual parenthood that looks to the next generation, that looks to those around and below that they can invest into, God, because we are not people who are only worried about what we do, but we are people who are worried about and concerned about the people around us, God. We don't wanna be people who do our mission and end up in a cave, Lord, but we wanna be people who are looking for the Elishas, looking for the Timothys, and looking for those spiritual children that we can pour your word and your anointing and your spirit into, God, that they might go further than we can, that they might go farther than we can, that they might be doing bigger things than we can, Lord. May our legacy in this lifetime live beyond us should Jesus tarry, God. We thank you that you are doing a work in us, in our lives. We thank you that you will open our eyes to opportunities to pour into people, God. We thank you that you are opening up our eyes to people in our lives that are available to pour into us, Lord. May you allow us to humble ourselves, to look for those different elders and spiritual parents and say, I need someone to pour into my life. I need an Elijah in my life. I need a Paul in my life. I need someone who's looking out for me that can speak into my life. God, because I don't wanna die if he dies. I wanna be able to live on and take that anointing and do great things for you in this lifetime, God. We give you the glory, the honor, the praise. We ask for a blessing for each of those families as they go out today. We ask that our cup runneth over, that you expand our tents and our territories. We thank you that we are the head and not the tail and that you are with us in the midst of us wherever we go. We thank you for everything you're doing in us, through us, and for us. In Jesus' precious name we say, Amen. The altars are open for prayer. God loves you and so do we. Have a great day. Hi, welcome to the After Nine Show. If you didn't catch it before, my name's Nathan. My name's Angie. This is Angie. And we're gonna have Pastor Brian Travail on with us in a little bitty bit. But before that, Angie, behold your mother. What'd you think? That was awesome. I was really encouraged. It just reminded me of my mom. I know when I was young, she would always be praying in the house and speaking in tongues. And I know how that influenced my life. And I know I wouldn't be the same if I didn't have that. So it just inspired me and encouraged me to not only be that mother, but disciple people and know that I can, I can be a spiritual mother to people and um, develop their lives and encourage them in that way too. It was really encouraging. Yeah, that's awesome. It's it's amazing how you can see how those generational things pass down between those relationships, right? Yeah. And Pastor Michael talked about you have like your your relationship with your father and mother, and you should honor your father and mother one hundred percent. But you also have spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers whose job it is is to take what they have impart it into you so that you can go further and do greater things right it's like it's like leaving a legacy behind yeah if, exactly if i do my job as a spiritual father mm-hmm. my spiritual sons or kids it sounds funny my spiritual kids mm-hmm. will be able to do things that only i could dream of yeah. and be able to dream of things i can't even imagine yeah right and that's that's that that snowball of leave, leaving that legacy behind and I'm just, I'm grateful because we, uh, Angie and I, have amazing parents, amazing spiritual fathers, amazing spiritual mothers. We've been very fortunate. Yeah. And if you don't, my heart does go out to you because those are 
things that can affect you, but someone's going to come along your path. Maybe you need to go find somebody. Uh, but speaking of finding somebody, I was, was going to be me. I was going to say, speaking of spiritual fathers, Pastor Brian, can you go find me one? <laughs> come on in, man. Hey, how's it going? Good. Our yourself? favorite uh, newlywed, or not new, <laughs> newly parents. Newly parents to be. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Pastor Brian. Uh, Pastor Brian, behold your mother. What would you think of it? There was so much there. i got to go back and listen to that. But, you know, mm. uh, there was so many other deeper levels to that message. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was interesting to me, I think one of the uh, things that I hadn't really thought about. I thought one of the things that I hadn't really thought about was, thanks for that mic, by the way. Um, he, Jesus actually appointed John to take care of his mother instead of his natural. Check one, two, check. Instead of one of her natural sons, James, which was totally out of line of what the world was. And sometimes spiritual parents uh, are going to be out of the realm of our uh, cultural thinking. Let's put it that way, right? Yes. So, and, and I don't think it was so much about a natural uh, a family member, so much about out of the realm of the culture of the day. Mm -hmm. That's the way I kind of took that. And like the, even when he went into that relationship with Elijah and Elijah, you know, uh, Elijah wasn't pouring into anybody, was doing great things, uh, was going around doing miracles for God, and yet at the end of that battle with uh, Ahab and uh, Jezebel, he was literally at the end of his end. And what re revigorated him was pouring into Elijah. So the importance of uh, being a spiritual parent, and I know it's not necessarily about mothers in this case, but um, the importance about pouring into uh, others and just uh, how that, re you know, as we give, we are refilled, right? And uh, that's a spiritual principle that I think we tend to lose sight of sometimes. Yeah. I have a question for you. Sure. That uh, something that kind of stood out to me through the message was that Elijah was in a cave yeah. and it just kind of surprised me because Elijah's done so many things yeah. like why would he just stick himself there like, well what what was that you know I mean from uh, from my perspective what what, what we deal with with people uh, we isolate right we we kind of put ourselves away or lock ourselves away and we get in this mindset that says nobody really wants us around them or we're no value to anybody. And uh, you know, what is a cave? Well, a cave's a place where I can go hide. It's a place of isolation. And I, I really believe that because that spiritual exhaustion was there, he wasn't pouring out spiritually, so he wasn't being refilled. It's like the Dead Sea, right? Like uh, he wasn't in a spiritual place to be able to uh, rejuvenate himself. And that's why he went to the cave and hid. You know, right. I, it was protection. But it was more, it was isolation, and it was, like, away from everybody, too. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of how we protect ourselves and different yeah. things that we choose to do, like in prayer, um, how they're talking well, about even, fear. And yeah, and even the concept of spiritual parents, um, when you think about it, when we start getting into the areas that are holding us back spiritually, it's usually sin. Right. Right? Uh, how many of us really want to go to our parents and start talking about our sins to our parents? Yeah. Right. Right? Yeah. So our parents aren't normally going to be a place where we can go and discuss openly. I mean, some of us can, but not the majority of us probably can't uh, go and really discuss spiritual uh, sin with, with 
uh, anyone other than a spiritual parent. Mm -hmm. And what that really means is we really need a safe place to be able to get that off our hearts and get it off our chest in order, you know, what's, what's the... Uh, uh, 1 John 1 9 says that he's faithful and just to forgive us from all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we confess mm -hmm. our sins to him. But James 5 16 says that he heals us when we confess them amongst one another and pray right. for once one another. Mm -hmm. So it's important to have those spiritual people in our lives and those safe places where we can go and actually get that stuff off our chest, right. I guess, right? So Yeah, that's, that's and, really good. Yeah. I, and I think that's the importance of spiritual parents as well. And you know, don't ever underestimate uh, those people that speak in your life spiritually, as well as your natural parents were to honor them as well. But uh, honor is a whole nother topic yeah. too, right? Yeah, yeah you could, I'm sure you could speak for oh. uh, days and days upon oh, yeah. just those, those just those, topics. Just those topics. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, when I think about that whole thing about burning uh, what Elisha did when he burned all his possessions and oxen and really what he what he had to do to go into the mantle the new mantle that God was releasing him into he had to get rid of this past mm -hmm. right so many of us hold on to our past trying to do something that God wants us to do and then we're torn between doing what God wants us to do and we got one foot in both both of the past for, and the future for sure yeah and I, I think that can be a difficult thing uh you know even for for us having one foot in what god mm -hmm. wants us to do and what foot in we see security in right. or, or safety in right and you can bring what the cave up yeah. what we know you can bring the cave up maybe he thought of that cave as a place of safety going to what feels safe but what actually isn't yeah. and just having a foot in what god wants and a foot in what you want and it, how they can clash and collide but seeing that full submission that full obedience yeah and you can see how god blessed his life right and didn't make his life all peaches and cherries no, right definitely not there's still challenges uh, right? elijah said he's like elisha's like give me a, a double portion of your spirit yeah what you ask is hard but <laughs> if you're asking <laughs> hey, be we'll careful you ask where there's son but we'll give it to you yeah but you know that, that's another interesting concept of the cave too because as you guys were just kind of describing that I'm kind of thinking of the spiritual and the natural, and the cave was the natural defense mm -hmm. rather yes. than the spiritual defense, right? So the cave was a naturally surrounding or safe surrounding, uh, and a lot of times when we're pressed, uh, we will go to the natural For rather sure. than the spiritual, right? When it gets painful, when it gets tough. For sure, yeah. I, I bring this up all the time. I feel like in prayer, or just in conversations of those like those false senses of security yeah. and you can even fall back on sin because that's what was well, once yeah. comfortable right For sure it's like oh i'm scared i don't know what to do i'm going to go back to this false sense of security and i just wonder why we struggle so much with that i know we have our flesh and we have our fallen nature but like whenever we confess our sins to our spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers whenever we and i'll use this in quote unquote get right with god or you know confess our sins it always feels so much better on the other side it does and yeah. i just wonder why we struggle so much with yeah we that. should know and we it's right. like it's like we should know and i laugh at uh i know i'm going on a tangent here but like reading the book of judges it's like oh god oh, we messed glad up. You brought oh, that up oh here's your here's your point of judge hey we're good now oh we messed up and reading it you could be like these fools what are they doing but how many times have we done that in our lives so i'm glad that you brought that up because what do i got up there right now the bible <laughs> yes <laughs> judges, judges two. two right so um in uh verse seven 
of the Judges 2. It says, so the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all of the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Now, what he's saying is things were going well. Okay, right? Yep. That's a lot of words to say it was going good. <laughs> but anyway, I would have just said it was going good. But they didn't. For whatever reason, the author chose a few other words there. Now, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at uh, Temnath Hares, Hares and the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Galash. When all the generations had been gathered together to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, know their work that he had done for Israel. And I think there it is, the importance of parents and spiritual parents. The generation that rose up after Joshua did not know the Lord. And that might be the saddest verse in the Bible that, if that you really sad, look yeah. at it, right? Mm -hmm. And it was because there weren't parents to pour in to the, uh, the the new generation, which is where Pastor Rob started off in prayer wow. and talked about how pouring in, and I, and I can tell tell you that what he said really hit a chord for me because I think sometimes as you get older in life, you just think, well, I'm all done. I'll go sit and put my yeah. feet up. And there's not a retiring, Pastor Rick said, there's a refiring, exactly. you know, and I think we forget that sometimes, that our role is to speak into everyone. Uh, like, I'm sure that as much as people are speaking into you as a couple, you're speaking into singles now. Sure. And you know, that'll continually progress. And that is so important for us to continue to remember, because sometimes we see younger people do things, and maybe you don't see it this way, but I mean, we just don't want to necessarily be around them, right? And I think that's the, the greatest disservice we could ever do to the generation, is to write them off and to say, I'm not gonna be bothered with them. I think. There's something inside us that says run for the cave when we got to run for the generation. Yeah, right? absolutely. And I think, I think um, the main thing that I'm getting out of today is just that um, we need to be empowered to know that we can help enable people to do yeah. things they could never do on their own. And that's why we're called Inspiration 9. That's we're right. We inspire people. That's right. To that's right. They that's, can never do on their own, right? That's, that's so, pretty good. Yeah. yeah. We've been very fortunate growing up under, you know, Pastor Rick's teachings all the time. Yeah. I don't know if I went a week without hearing it. It's about the generations, generational, passing down to the next generation. Yep. And when that gets inside of you, I know um, me and Angie were talking a little bit before you entered about leaving that legacy, right? right. Like if we do our job as parents now with the baby in the, the, baby in the oven, yeah. they'll be able to do things we could only dream of. That's right. And dream of things we can't even imagine. And they'll go farther and uh, they'll have a greater revelation of the things of God. Yeah. yeah. Right? It's awesome. You know, and... It, I just want to encourage, I just feel to say this, if I can, yeah. it's okay with you guys. It's okay with you too, well, Angie. I mean, we're trying to wrap up. Here, okay, but, but <laughs> so I think this kind of leads into wrapping up because I, I feel sometimes when we struggle, we kind of shut down and we just kind of say, you know, God can't use me because I'm struggling in sin. Yeah. And what I think we need to do is offer that as a sacrifice to the new generations and the younger generations under us and say, God, I just pray they don't have to suffer with this mindset and with this habit that I've had, maybe they can go further and get this, you know, maybe I'm gonna stuck and I'm gonna struggle with this, but I'm okay with this if that's what, if this is where I've gotta go, but please save the future generations from this. Yeah. That's powerful. It is powerful. It's really good. 
That was perfect wrapping up. Perfect wrapping up. <laughs> so, everybody perfect. have a wonderful Mother's Day. Yes, happy Mother's I'm Day to Angie. everyone. I'm Nathan. And I'm Brian. And you guys have a great day. And you've been after nine. <laughs> <laughs>